0: Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanacademy.com. That's McClanahanacademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 minutes of American history when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanacademy.com, enroll and get a real history education. People often call Jimmy Carter the worst president in American history because of the Iranian hostage crisis. Well, there's a problem with that as I'll discuss on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, you can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You already heard about that, but... You can also click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can go to YouTube and click on the Super Thanks button. You can go to Spotify for Podcasters and you can become a member there. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Give it that five-star review wherever you can. Leave a text review at either Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. You can do it either place. And then, of course, you can send me those show requests if you would like. I want to know what you want to hear. And that's how we keep the show fresh. All right, so we're going to wrap up this week with a discussion of Jimmy Carter. Now, again, I don't want to just talk about Jimmy Carter incessantly. We know that the man is not long for this world. But one of the reasons why people often consider Jimmy Carter to be one of the worst presidents in American history is because of the Iranian hostage crisis. Now, it was a an open secret, so to speak, that... Uh, When Carter was president in 1980, his attempt to get the hostages out of Iran was sabotaged by the Reagan administration. People knew this. People knew this was going on behind the scenes. And there was actually an investigation into it, but nobody could conclusively prove who did it. Who was the person responsible for essentially getting the deal cut between the Reagan team and the Iranians that made it to where Carter could not get the hostages out while he was president. That was the real question. You see what happens, of course, if you don't know about this particular issue. And this is a direct result of the CIA and uh, American imperialism, American foreign policy. When the Iranians had a democratically elected government, they had a, Prime Minister named Musadeh, the United States government under the direction of Kermit Roosevelt or at least the CIA with Kermit Roosevelt orchestrated Musadeh's overthrow because he was supposedly a communist. What had happened is that the Iranians had nationalized all the oil and the British got very upset and so they asked the United States to intervene and they did and so they reinstalled the Shah as the essentially king of Iran And Musa was booted out of power. And this was all because of Kermit Roosevelt. Now, sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'll talk about a book by one of Kermit Roosevelt's ascendants, which I think is pretty interesting. But uh, anyways, so we have the the Iranian Shah now in power, and he is an American puppet. And so he cracks down on all of the uh, supposed socialists in Iran, and the only place that anyone could go to denounce American involvement in this process was in the mosques. And so the mosques became radicalized. They became uh, very much, you know, uh, home of these anti-American Iranian uh, dissidents. And eventually they overthrew the Shah and the Shah ends up in the United States. And so at that point, we have Americans taken hostage at the embassy in Iran and they're held for over a year. Now, this was a foreign policy disaster for Jimmy Carter. It was a foreign policy disaster because he couldn't get the people home. He tried, he negotiated, he actually tried to send in a rescue operation to the desert. All the helicopters crashed in the desert. And that's because he was, a lot of speculation, he was sabotaged by his own generals who were inept at that point. They were sending in stuff that they couldn't, that was, you know, beyond his service date. So Carter looks like an inept little bumbling fool at this point. And Reagan rides in, of course, on the on a white horse, so to speak, and saves the the American hostages in 1981 when he becomes president. In fact, on the day he's sworn in, the hostages are released. Well, that was pretty convenient. How did that happen? How did Reagan work this out to where the day that he's sworn into office, the hostages come home? Well, we now know why. We now know how. And it's because of John Connolly. Now, if you don't know who John Connolly is, John Connolly was the governor of Texas... Uh, who was sitting in the front seat of the limo when, uh, when John Kennedy was shot in 1963. He um, was also shot, and um, he was a, a pretty you know, prominent Texas politician, later became a Republican, and ran against Ronald Reagan in 1980. Connolly didn't, of course, get the nomination for the Republican Party, and he wanted some kind of appointment. He wanted some kind of political appointment. So he wanted to be Secretary of State. Now, he had served in the Kennedy administration, uh, but he wanted a high-level position. So he thought if he could do something to help Reagan win the election or uh, you know, do something to keep Carter from winning the election, is more important that he would get that post. Well, he didn't. Reagan didn't offer him the position of Secretary of State. But what he did in the Middle East in 1980 is phenomenal. When I say that, it's it's amazing. I'm not saying it was a good thing, but what I'm saying is what he did is just, I mean, it's almost too big to be real, how he how worked this out. Connolly also, when he died, this is interesting, in, in uh, 1993, he dies in 93, and there was a push to get the bullet fragments, which had never been removed from his body, to be removed, right, to do an autopsy and take the bullet fragments out to prove that there wasn't a single gunman in 1963. And lo and behold, the federal government says, well, we can't do that. And only if the family will say we can do it, can we do it? And, of course, the family denied the request. Why? Because it would probably prove that there wasn't just one gunman in 1963. This is the big secret the CIA has to keep covered up because it, of course, would be a disaster for them. Anyways, so we've got John Connolly uh, wanting to help Reagan win the election and more importantly wanting to sabotage Jimmy Carter's uh, potential re-election in 1980. So this is a piece from the New York Times and it gets into detail what happened here. This is an amazing story. Again, an open secret. Somebody knew something was going on, but it can never be proved who did it. Well, it was John Connolly. So the piece says it has been more than four decades, but Ben Barnes said he remembers it vividly. His longtime political mentor invited him on a mission to the Middle East. What Mr. Barnes said he did not realize until later was that the real purpose of the mission to sabotage the reelection campaign of the President of the United States. It was 1980 and Jimmy Carter was in the White House, bedeviled by a hostage crisis in Iran, that had paralyzed his presidency and hampered his effort to win a second term. Mr. Carter's best chance for victory was to free the 52 Americans held captive before election day. That was something that Mr. Barnes, said his mentor, was determined to prevent. Now, um, again, if if he could have pulled this off before election day, Carter might have won re-election. It would have been a big PR victory. Uh, of course, it was a, a landslide in 1980. There were other reasons why Carter was going to lose. Uh, one of the big one of the big ones, of course, was inflation, which Carter really had nothing to do with. He he put Paul Volcker in as Federal Reserve Chair, which he didn't really want to do, but he did. And of course, the Fed jacked up interest rates, so you were getting like 20% mortgages. And I mean, this was uh, this was something that Carter again didn't really like, but it stopped the inflation of the 1970s. If we go back to the 1976 campaign, Gerald Ford had campaign buttons made that were win, whip inflation now, right? I mean, so this was a big deal before Carter became president. We often blame Carter for inflation and then, of course, high interest rates. But the interest rates were necessary to stop the inflation. This is what we're looking at now, and the Fed isn't going to take the same drastic measures because they're worried about banks failing. There's a whole different scenario now in in 2023 than in 1980 or 1979 but anyways uh, that's one thing Carter is often blamed for the energy crisis which of course was there before Carter took office I mean there are all kinds of things that Carter wasn't personally responsible for but he's often blamed for and this is one of them Carter couldn't get the hostages out because he was being sabotaged by the opposing campaign this is before Ronald Reagan was even president So the piece says his mentor was John B. Connolly Jr., a titan of American politics and former Texas governor who had served three presidents and just lost his own bid for the White House. A former Democrat, Mr. Connolly had sought the Republican nomination in 1980, only to be swamped by former Governor Ronald Reagan of California. Now Mr. Connolly resolved to help Mr. Reagan beat Mr. Carter, and in the process, Mr. Barnes said make his own case for becoming Secretary of State or Defense in a new administration. What happened next, Mr. Barnes, is largely kept secret for nearly 43 years. Connolly, he said, took him to one Middle Eastern capital after another that summer, meeting with a host of regional leaders to deliver a blunt message to be passed to Iran. Don't release the hostages before the election. Reagan will win and give you a better deal. So, they never went to Iran directly because they couldn't, but they were going to these other Middle Eastern capitals. And they were saying, look, the guy coming in, if he wins and he's going to win... It's going to cut a better deal for you, and you are going to get what you want out of this situation. So, in other words, Reagan's going to capitulate. And what had happened, of course, as the when the Shah was overthrown, the United States government had seized the finances of Iran. It had basically taken over the economy. And this is why the, the hostages were taken. Their demand was, give us our money back. And the United States government was not willing to do it. Jimmy Carter wasn't willing to do it. You know who was? Ronald Reagan, he was willing to do it. He was going to give them their money back. And that's exactly what happened. Then shortly after returning returning home, Mr. Barnes said Mr. Connolly reported to William J. Casey, the chairman of Mr. Reagan's campaign and later director of the CIA, briefing him about the trip in an airport lounge. So you've got the guy that's going to become the head of the CIA meeting with the former governor of Texas, who wanted to be president but couldn't, this in an airport lounge, right? This is very clandestine. They're not doing this to where people can really see what's going on here, and telling him this is exactly what I did. I met with all these Middle Eastern leaders, and they're going to give, they're going to tell Iran to wait. Reagan's going to give them a better deal. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Carter's camp had long suspected that Casey or someone else in Reagan's orbit sought to secretly torpedo efforts to liberate the hostages before the election, and books have been written on what came to be called the October Surprise. But congressional investigations debunk previous theories of what happened. So Congress looks into it, Carter's investigating, this is the big October surprise. This is what was, uh, that, that Reagan was going to be able to orchestrate this deal, and Carter couldn't. Connolly did not figure in those investigations. His involvement, as described by Barnes, adds a new understanding to what may have happened in that hard-fought, pivotal election year. With Carter now 98 and in hospice care, Barnes said he felt compelled to come forward to correct the record. It would be great if someone would do this. Of course, you can't with the Kennedy assassination. We know that um, there's lots of evidence that points to the CIA involvement, that they basically have admitted it without admitting it. And so... Uh, it would be fantastic if the government would would let that out it's it's uh, if you talk to just you know layman about this they don't understand why at this point you know over you know almost 60 or 60 years later why they won't do it why they just won't admit what happened well i think it's because that they're afraid that it would undermine confidence in the central intelligence agency and the fbi it would it would undermine intelligence in the general government that they could hold this secret that the government itself took out a sitting president of the United States. And what would that mean? We've, of course, seen this kind of play out with the Trump administration and very hyper-partisan efforts to remove a sitting president, to uh, to get rid of a political opponent. Uh, there was a very funny Babylon Bee post the other day that said, you know, the CIA is now going to arrest everybody, uh, that they can't their their political opponents to stop fascism. It's hilarious because that's essentially what we've got. We're at the Roman period of time now when the Senate... Was arresting all of their political opponents and having these people taken out. This is where we've gotten. This is what the Democrats have become. They know that if if they uh, if they try to win on their ideas alone, they generally don't. So they're going to have to rig the game somehow. And that's getting people arrested. That's um, you know having, of course, bad Republican candidates don't help, and we've got a lot of those. But it's getting people arrested. It's uh, it's you know you trying to to rig the system with. You know, different ways to vote, uh, not illegally, but you know there's questions about well, how this happened, uh, to get more people into the United States and give them more candy. So, of course, they're going to vote for them. This is how they do it. Uh, on their ideas alone, they really can't win. Uh, but they can win when they do things like this. So... Uh, undermining confidence in the government I think is why or in the CIA is why this never has come to light. But again, let's get back to the Iranians and uh, and Carter. History needs to know that this happened Mr. Barnes, who turns 85 next month, said in one of his several interviews his first with the news organization about the episode. I think it's so significant and I guess knowing at the end of the, that at the year the end is near for President Carter put it on my mind more and more and more. I just feel like we've got to get it down some way. Mr. Barnes is no shady foreign arms dealer with questionable credibility, like some of the characters who fueled previous iterations of the October October surprise theory. He was once one of the most prominent figures in Texas, the youngest speaker of the Texas House of Representatives and later lieutenant governor. He was such an influential figure that he helped a young George W. Bush get into the Texas Air National Guard rather than be exposed to the draft and sent to Vietnam. Lyndon B. Johnson predicted that Mr. Barnes would become president someday. So he's a player in Texas. Now, when Johnson gives you an endorsement, um, that's that's a, that's not a good thing, right? Uh, <laughs> Landslide Linden was one of the most corrupt people we've ever had in American politics, and there's a lot of speculation he was involved in the Kennedy uh, Kennedy assassination. Remember, we have to remember that you know, Kennedy wins in 1960 60, election 1960, but in 1956 the roles reversed. Lyndon Johnson was the front-runner for president, and Kennedy was going to be the vice president. And they flipped it. And so I think Johnson had a long-standing hostility toward John F. Kennedy. Johnson thought he should have been the guy. And, of course, there was a lot of things going on in the Democratic Party back then. But uh, there was supposed to, and, of course, Stevenson, um, you know, Stevenson uh, was going to be the sacrificial lamb again in 1956. No one was going to beat Eisenhower. But the fact is that there was some discussion about Johnson being the nominee and Kennedy being his vice presidential nominee, uh, but they flipped that in 1960, and I don't think Johnson really ever forgave the Kennedy family for that. Confirming Barnes's account is problematic after so much time. Connolly, Casey, and other central figures have long since died, and Barnes has no diaries or memos to corroborate his account. But he has no obvious reason to make up the story and indeed express trepidation at going public because of the reaction of fellow Democrats. Barnes identified four living people he said he had confided in over the years. Mark K. um, Updegrove, president of the LBJ Foundation. Tom Johnson, a former aide to Lyndon Johnson. No relation. Who later became publisher of the Los Angeles Times and president of CNN. Larry Temple, a former aide to Connolly and Lyndon Johnson. And H.W. Brands, University of Texas historian. Now, Brands is uh, one of these popular historians who writes all kinds of popular history. You go into Barnes & Noble and you'll find Brands books on the shelves. He's... He's more interested in uh, 19th century American history, but um, he is one of these you know, big names uh, out there. And there's there's several of these people that become popular, uh, really big popular historians, and Brands is one of them. All four of them confirmed in recent days that Barnes shared the story with them years ago. As far as I know, Ben has never lied to me, Tom Johnson said, a sentiment the others echoed. Brands included three paragraphs about Barnes' recollection in a 2015 biography of Mr. Reagan, but the account generated little public notice at the time. Records at the Lyndon B. Johnson Library and Museum confirm part of Mr. Barnes' story. An itinerary found this past week in Connolly's files indicated that he did, in fact, leave Houston on July 18, 1980 for a trip that would take him to Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Israel before returning to Houston on August 11th. Barnes was listed as accompanying him. There you go. I think that's enough to show that it actually happened. That's if if Barnes is saying this is what we did, this is what this is what Connolly said, and he was on the trip. I think that it's a fair uh, conclusion to make that Barnes is is telling the truth here. Um, I, there's there's again there's no real reason for him to lie about this. Reagan's dead. Carter's going to be dead. It doesn't really matter anymore. This is this is you know kind of old news in a way, but it, it needs to be told in, in his mind. Brief news accounts at the time reported on some of Connolly's stops with scant detail, describing the trip as strictly private. Again, uh, this would be evidence that you know Connolly didn't want it to get out what he was doing here. An intriguing note in Connolly's file confirms Barnes's memory that there was con- contact with the Reagan camp early in the trip. Under the heading Governor Reagan, a note from an assistant reported to Connolly on July twenty one. Nancy Reagan called, they're at at ranch and he wants to talk to you about being in on strategy meetings. There was no record of his response. Strategy meeting, yeah, well, like telling Middle Eastern leaders that we're going to give them a better deal, that we're going to give Iranians a better deal, if we can just get you into the office. Barnes recalled joining Connolly in early September to sit down with Casey to report on their trip during a three-hour meeting in the American Airlines Lounge at what was then called the Dallas-Fort Worth Regional Airport. An entry in Connolly's calendar found this past week showed that he traveled to Dallas on September 10th. A search for Casey's archives at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University turned up no documents indicating whether he was in Dallas then or not. Well, obviously, that's not going to be the case. They're going to try to cover this up. And they didn't want this out at the time because this would, I mean, if this had come out in October that the Reagan camp was, was meddling in on this. Or even after Reagan was uh, was inaugurated, that could have been an impeachable offense. Remember, Reagan comes into power and comes into office. The Republicans controlled the Senate, but not the House. And so the House could have impeached Reagan immediately for this. This would have, I mean, it really would have been something that uh, they might have you know looked at an impeachment proceeding. Now, he didn't do it when he was president, but that was a legal activity. And so... That could have been a high crime and misdemeanor, you know, maybe, or they would have to delay. But, I mean, either way, Reagan would have been in some legal hot water over this. Barnes said he was certain the, the point of Connolly's trip was to get a message to the Iranians to hold the hostages until after the election. I'll go to my grave believing that it was the purpose of the trip, he said. It wasn't freelancing because Casey was so interested in hearing as soon as we got back to the United States. Casey, he added, wanted to know whether they were going to hold the hostages. None of, the established, none of this is that establishes whether Reagan knew about the trip, nor could Barnes say that Casey directed Connolly to take the journey. Likewise, he does not know if the message transmitted to multiple Middle Eastern leaders got to the Iranians, much less whether it influenced the decision-making. But Iran did hold the hostages until after the election, which Mr. Reagan won, and did not release them until minutes afternoon on January twentieth, nineteen 1981, when Mr. Carter left office. Yeah. I mean, all the evidence points in this direction. I don't think Barnes is lying about this. I think I think this is what Connolly was doing there. Now, whether the Reagan camp knew what he was doing, I, I would say that they probably did. I would say that uh, Casey probably knew. I would say that Reagan probably knew. This is what was going on. They were going to they were going to torpedo Carter's chances of becoming president, reelecting, or being reelected, because they could keep the Iran the Americans in Iran until Reagan became president on January twentieth, nineteen eighty one. John B. Connolly III, the former governor's eldest son, said in an interview on Friday that he remembered his father taking the Middle East trip but never heard anything about any message to Iran. While he did not join the trip, the younger Mr. Connolly said he accompanied his father to a meeting with Mr. Reagan to discuss it without Mr. Barnes and the conversation centered on the Arab-Israel conflict and other issues the next president would confront. Now, think about what just happened here. So John Connolly didn't go on the trip. He didn't know it was there, but he did attend a meeting later on and said, did they really talk about this? Well, why would they? Why would Connolly talk about this with Reagan when he would already he already talked about it with the man who would become the CIA director? Right. That, that wasn't the point. Reagan needed to have some kind of distance from this, and everyone knew it because if Reagan could be attached to it, again, that would be a major political disaster for Ronald Reagan. So discussing it with Reagan probably wouldn't happen, but Casey, yes. And again, this is just uh, you know kind of a way to wiggle out of the fact that this might have happened. No mention was made in any meeting I was in about any message being sent to the Iranians, said Mr. Connolly. It doesn't sound like my dad, he added, but I can't challenge Ben's memory about it, but it's not consistent with my memory of the trip. You didn't even go on the trip. Again, just a throwaway... Uh, Part of this essay. He wasn't even on the trip. I mean, so it doesn't sound like his dad. How do you know this? Right? Uh, How do you know that your dad, who was a career politician, by the way, wouldn't have been involved in something that was, you know, shady to begin with? Of course he would. Of course he would. Suspicions about the Reagan camp's interactions with Iran circulated quietly for years until Gary Sick. A former national security aide to Mr. Carter published a guest essay in the New York Times in April 1991, advancing the theory, followed by a book, October Surprise, published that in November. The term October Surprise was originally used by the Reagan camp to describe its fears that Mr. Carter would manipulate the hostage crisis to effect a release just before the election. Again, that was going to be the October Surprise. <clears throat> this is what the Reagan camp was trying to prevent. They didn't want that to happen. So they're trying to forestall the October surprise and make it their shining victory when Reagan becomes president. To forestall such a scenario, Mr. Casey was alleged to have met with representatives of Iran in July and August in 1980 in Madrid, leading to a deal supposedly finalized in Paris in October in which a future Reagan administration would ship arms to Tehran through Israel in exchange for the hostages being held until after the election. House and Senate separately authorized investigations, and both ultimately rejected the claims. The bipartisan House task force, led by a Democrat, Representative Lee H. Hamilton of Indiana, controlled by Democrats eight to five, concluded in a consensus 968-page report that Mr. Casey was not in Madrid at the time, and that stories of covert dealings were not backed by credible testimony, documents, or intelligence reports. Again, so all that has been has been debunked that there was some kind of of arms deal going on in 1980 however the deal was to get the funds back right to get their money back that was the big issue they wanted their money back the united states seized billions of dollars and they wanted their money back and that's what happened it wasn't just about weapons it was about money Reached by telephone this past week, week, Mr. Sisk said he never heard of any involvement by Mr. Connolly, but saw Mr. Barnes' account as verifying the broad concerns he had raised. This is really very interesting, and it really does add significantly to the base level of information on this, Mr. Sisk said. Just the fact that he was doing it and debriefed Casey when he got back means a lot. The story goes further than anything I've seen thus far, he added, so this is really new. Michael F. Zeldin, a Democratic lawyer for the task force, and David H. Loffman, a Republican lawyer for the task force, both said in recent interviews that Mr. Connolly never crossed their radar screen during the inquiry, and so they had no basis to judge Mr. Barnes's account. I mean, maybe Connolly's acting on his own here, but the fact that he met with Casey. And that the the evidence the circum it would be circumstantial evidence, right? I mean, they're there, they're here. We don't know Barnes is the only one telling the story. Why would he lie about it? He's 85 years old. Now Barnes is a Democrat, and perhaps he would uh, want to to uh, stick up for Jimmy Carter and you know sabotage Ronald Reagan's legacy. I don't know. There could be some of that to it, but I really do believe this happened. Everyone knows. This has been the whisper for years that the Iranian hostage crisis was uh, a was Carter was you know hung out to dry on this, and that the Reagan camp was trying to orchestrate a better deal so that Reagan would become president and stop Jimmy Carter from getting the hostages, which would of course led to his reelection, get the hostages back. Well, while Casey was never proved to have been engaged in any October Surprise deal making. He was later accused of obtaining a Carter campaign briefing book before the lone debate between the two candidates, although he denied involvement. Of course, he he purloined this, right? He stole it, essentially. And so he knew what Carter was going to say. Again, all the shenanigans behind the scenes, it certainly adds up. There were, there were shenanigans happening in 1980. Reagan did win in a landslide. Carter was painted as this buffoon who uh, never got anything right. Foreign policy doofus. You know, this was... This was the playbook for the Reagan campaign, and anything they could do to make Carter look bad, they were going to do it. News of Barnes' account came as validation to some of Carter's remaining advisors. Gerald Rothschuhn, who was, in, who was his White House communications director, said any interference may have changed history. If we had gotten the hostages home, we'd have won. I really believe that, he said. It's pretty damn outrageous. Well, I mean, again, I agree. Carter probably would have won if the hostages came back. Why well, I say probably, maybe would have won. Reagan also had some other things in his in his toolkit, right? It wasn't just the hostages; it was also the high inflation, or essentially high interest rates, what they called stagflation at that point. It was, uh, you know, perhaps a, you know the waning days of the energy crisis. It was the Cold War, which Carter was seen as soft on. It was all of those things, and so this was just another you know feather in his cap for Reagan to go out and uh, or another, I should say, another, you know, sword or, or say uh, uh, arrow in his in his quiver to go out and shoot at Carter with. Right. So the uh, the fact that Carter was seen as soft on this or inept worked certainly to Reagan's advantage. Connolly was a political giant of his era, raised on a South Texas cotton farm. He served in the Navy in World War II and became a confidant of Lyndon B. Johnson, helping run five of his campaigns including his disputed 1948 election to the Senate that was marred by credible, credible allegations of fraud. Now, see, this is where it comes in. Connolly was a career political hack. Of course, he's doing something like this. He was an ally with Lyndon Johnson. Landslide Lyndon, Eight forty-eight was a horrible election. Connolly managed uh, Johnson's unsuccessful bid for the Democratic presidential nomination in 1960, then worked for the ticket of John F. Kennedy and Johnson. Connolly was rewarded with an appointment as Secretary of the Navy. He then won a race for Governor of Texas in 1962. He was in the presidential limousine sitting just in front of Kennedy in Dallas in November 1963 when Lee Harvey Oswald opened fire. Connolly suffered injuries to his back, chest, wrist, and thigh, but unlike Mr. Kennedy, survived the ordeal. He won two more terms as Governor, then became President Richard Nixon's Secretary of the Treasury, and ultimately switched parties. It was a favorite of Mr. Nixon, who wanted to make him his vice president or successor as president. I mean, look at who his allies are. Two uh, potentially, you know, arguably the most, some of the most crooked people that have ever been in the executive office, Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon. I mean, if you think this guy's not crooked, uh, you've got problems. Connolly was indicted on charges of perjury and conspiracy to obstruct justice in 1974, accused by prosecutors of taking $10,000 to support a milk price increase, but acquitted by a jury. Along the way, Connolly found a political protege, Mr. Barnes, who became more a godson than a friend, as James Reston put it in The Lone Star, his biography of Mr. Connolly. The son of a peanut farmer who paid for college selling vacuum cleaners door-to-door, Barnes was elected to the Texas legislature at 21 and stood at Mr. Connolly's side for his first speech as a candidate for governor in '62, with Connolly's help, Barnes became House Speaker at 26 and was later elected Lieutenant Governor, a powerful position in Texas, only to fall short in his own bid for governor in '72. He urged Connolly to run for president in '80, even even though by then they were in different parties. So again, this is this shows you that all these things that Barnes is saying are pretty credible. I think he, he had nothing against Connolly. He 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 loved Connolly. He had nothing against the guy. He was. Um, but this is eating at him, and what happened? And I mean, the the shadiness. Connolly was shady, Johnson was shady. All these people were shady. I'm sure Barnes is shady too. After Connolly's campaign collapse, he and and Barnes went into business together, forming Barnes Connolly Investments. They built apartment complexes, shopping centers, office buildings, commuter airline, and oil company, and later a barbecue house, a Western art magazine, a title company, and an advertising company. But of course. All these things fell apart, and they all filed for bankruptcy in 87. They stayed on good terms, though. In spite of the disillusionment of our business arrangements, Ben Barnes and I remained friends, although I doubt that either of us would go back into business with the other, Connolly wrote in his memoir, In History's Shadow, shortly before dying in 1993. Barnes, for his part, said the past week, I remain a great fan of him. Barnes said he had no idea of the purpose of the Middle East trip when Connolly invited him. They traveled to the region on a Gulfstream jet owned by Superior Oil, only when they sat down with the first Arab leader that did Barnes learn what Connolly was up to, he said. Connolly said, look, Ronald Reagan is going to be elected president and need to get the word to Iran that they're going to make a better deal with Reagan than they, than they are with Carter, Barnes recalled. He said it would be very smart for you to pass the word to the Iranians to wait until after the general election is over. And boy, I tell you, I'm sitting here there and I heard it, and so now it dawns on me, I realize why we're there. Barnes said that, that except for Israel, Connolly repeated the same message at every stop in the region to leaders such as President Anwar el-Sadat of Egypt. He thought his friend's motive was clear. It became very clear to me that Connolly was running for Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense, Barnes said. Of course, he was never given either position or offered either position. He was later offered Energy Secretary, but didn't like that. Barnes said he did not reveal the real story at the time to avoid blowback from his own party. I don't want to look like Benedict Arnold to the Democratic Party by participating in this, he recalled, explaining to a friend. The headlines at the time, he imagined, would have been all scandalous. I did not want to be to, that to be on my obituary at all. But as the years passed, he said, he has often thought an injustice had been done to Mr. Carter. Discussing the trip now, he indicated, was his way of making amends. I just want history to reflect that Carter got a little bit of a bad deal about the hostages, he said. He didn't have a fighting chance with those hostages still in the embassy in Iran. Well, I mean, this is this is true, right? It's um, they did have a a um a problem here, and that problem, of course, was that uh, you know Barnes was a Democrat, and there would have been some. He stays there with Connolly. Connolly, of course, is a former Democrat, but now he's a Republican, and trying to help Mister Reagan, Ronald Reagan, win the election. Um, I don't. I don't think there's any way not to believe this story particularly when the hostages are released the day that Reagan becomes president and not when Carter was president that was the whole point it's the whole point of the trip and the fact that uh, Connolly met with Casey at a hotel lo- or airport lounge again why airport why an airport lounge think about what you can't really do in an airport lounge it's very hard to have surveillance in an airport lounge uh, particularly in, in this time period, uh, but I mean it's it's not you're not meeting at an office. Or, I mean the, the two guys are just kind of in the airport. They run into each other supposedly, and they have a conversation. But this is exactly why it was to it was to eliminate any kind of trail that would put people onto this, because they knew this would be politically damaging to the Reagan campaign and the Reagan administration. Now all those people are dead. Barnes is you know, left, but. Um, I think it 's very clear that this happened, and it doesn 't matter if you know connolly's son didn 't know it was there because he didn't go right I think this was what happened in 19, eight, 1979, 19, uh, 1980 actually and um that was the the point was to forestall Jimmy Carter getting political points for getting the hostages out of Iran and that 's why I say that Jimmy Carter is blamed for things that he really had no control over, and this is one of them. All right, if you want to get me five times of the week, don't forget to check out the Abbeville Institute podcast. But until next week, I'll see you then on the Brian Hand Show.